What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode number 43 of My Social Life. This is the podcast where you can hear the real stories behind the people on social media. I'm your host, Jacob Kelly. And before we jump into today's conversation with Max Brown, there's a couple things that we need to go over first. Number one, if you enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to leave us a rating and a review. It really helps more people find the podcast and it helps to grow the community that we're developing here. And if you're one of those people that have recently found the podcast, welcome. I'm very excited to have you here. Make sure you subscribe, stay tuned for future episodes and to everybody listening make sure you screenshot this post it to your instagram story tag at my social pod and i'll feature you on the account and send you a message as well now without further ado let's get to my conversation with max brown What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to My Social Life. Today, I'm joined by Max Brown. Max is a former captain and starting quarterback for both USC and Pitt. And now he's a football analyst and working for Team Gary V. Max, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. Pumped, uh, pumped to be here. Yeah, I want to start. The, I want to go all the way back to start this to high school when you were 14 years old when you got your first scholarship, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. Um, Bring it back to where it all started, but uh, yeah, like you said, played quarterback. Got my first uh, first offer at fourteen, and uh, yeah, man, that kind of started the the whirlwind uh, that was to come in my playing days, um, which were uh, some uh, exciting times, full of many ups and many downs. Yeah, so I, like you, like I said, you got your first scholarship offer at fourteen, and you were a five star recruit coming out of high school. So, is there added pressure that comes with that that you have to deal with at an extremely young age? It's always funny, like when that question comes up, because everyone always kind of says, "Ah, oh, like you don't feel a pressure," and "Ah, oh, like I was just locked in." But the reality is, like I don't care how mentally locked in you are. There's a there's a reality to that. That yes, there was more pressure. Yes, there was more expectations. I the 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 standard for me was just naturally higher, and it was awesome because I I mean I embraced that. I wanted that. I worked for that, and so. Uh, it never was a burden, I would say, but if we're being real, yeah, there was an extra sense of pressure. I think um, a perfect example is a lot of guys in the ath- athletic world or college football world, they'll, they'll redshirt their freshman year, and that's just kind of standard. That's like what you do. But for me, I remember when I was redshirting, I, there was, those were some, some stressful times. I'm like, gosh, I got to get on the field. I got to start playing. This, like, I'm, I'm supposed to do this. I'm supposed to do that. Those thoughts definitely start creeping in your head, and uh in that regard, uh, I would think that, or the the pressure was uh, was more so for for me and guys in my scenario uh, more so than other guys. Mm-hmm. And so I'm always curious as to the reasoning behind the school that you picked. So you ended up going to USC, but you also had offers from Oklahoma, Alabama, Washington. So what was it about USC that made you go there? Yeah. So a lot of recruits always say this, but I I said it and truly meant it. It was. I was willing to go anywhere in the country and I knew and I valued school. I, I valued what that meant. Um, and so those, those two factors were kind of on the front of my head. And um, obviously at that point you're thinking school, but I mean, I, I, as a, as a high school recruit, I was thinking, all right, sweet, I'm going to play in, in college for three years and then sweet, I'm going to win a national title, win a Heisman, and then I'm going to go to the NFL. That was my plan. And for SC is a, a school that, puts you in a position to do that better than any other school. Um, but if you f- rewind to that time period when I was a recruit, USC was – they were the number one team in the country. That's after the uh, – that's Matt Barkley time, Robert Woods time, number one team in the country. They did not take a quarterback in the class above me. They're a West Coast team. I was a West Coast kid. It's USC. It's as big as it gets. Like all those factors kind of aligned for me on top of the education, on top of 
living in LA, all those factors, it just seemed to align for me. And uh, at the time, it was I was it was either them or Oklahoma, uh, and I sat on it for for a few weeks there in April of my junior year, but then decided to go with USC and, and felt like it was the right choice. And you talked about there was a lot of ups and downs. Can you talk to us about some of those ups that you had? Like, what was your time like while you were there? Yeah. Um, time while I was at USC, I think the high points at USC for me were uh, was getting voted captain by my teammates. So I was there for four years and hadn't started a game. Like we kind of touched on, had high expectations. But uh, right before I was named starter, leading up to my uh, redshirt junior year, I got named captain. And that meant the world to me. So, still to this day is probably the most rewarding, uh, most rewarding feeling of my life, to be honest, just to be to get voted on by your teammates, that was probably the the high end. And then obviously uh, for a, a couple of weeks there in, in 2016, I was a starter at USC, which was awesome. And uh, I worked for it, stayed the course there, stayed there for a long time uh, when, when, when I could have transferred. And so to get uh, to, to get an opportunity, obviously there's many stories within within those those first few starts, but uh, and, and it didn't work out ultimately. But I'd say getting voted captain was probably the high point of, uh, of my time at USC. Mm-hmm. And you're, when you're alluding to the fact that it didn't work out, you're talking about the time where Sam Darnold ended up coming in, correct? That's correct, yep. I got uh, benched after my third game at USC, and uh, they put in Sam. Uh, and then obviously uh, his story is uh, well-dialogued for any sports fans listening. And then, uh, yeah, my, my, my story took a different path. So what's that dynamic like between you and Sam, like when that happens? Like, cause you're the captain of the team, right? So obviously you're excited for him and for his success, but at the same time, like obviously you're a competitor, you want to be on the field too. Yep. You worded it perfectly. Um, Sam is a first class human being and uh, we're good buddies to this day. I'd like to think we're both just good dudes. And, I, and throughout the whole, the whole competition process, I think it wasn't just words we said, it was actually something we lived. We understood the deal. We understood the best guy was going to play. We understood the di- dynamics at play. And we were mature enough to realize that it's on us if we let this competition battle impact a friendship between two just good dudes, good human beings. And I think we that, that's something that if you asked me in high school, like, oh, would I be friends with the guy I was competing with? I'd be like, no, get out of here. I'm trying to beat him. But then when you live it and you're seeing that guy every single day, it makes your life harder if you're if you're button heads with him and any of that. So we knew the deal. Um, when I won the job uh, initially at USC, he shook my hand and said, "Well deserved." And then when I got benched, uh, I wasn't pleased uh, at the time, but I, I, I remember going up to him before the game and said, "Hey, go out there and dominate." Because at the end of the day, it's not a me. Ver- it was never a me versus Sam thing. It was always uh, really a me versus me thing. But obviously, there there are other outside factors at play that uh, affected how that thing played out. Mm-hmm. And then, so like from your time when you were at USC with Sam, were you expecting him to go on to do what he's done today so far, being a high pick in the NFL, playing his first season? Like, was that like, are you surprised at all at how well he's done to this point? Not surprised one bit. Um, I vividly remember when we were competing in 2016, Coach Clay Helton walked into uh, or sat us both down in his office and goes, I got two NFL starting quarterbacks on my roster right now, and I'm, I'm going to have a very hard decision to make uh this upcoming fall and so we both knew the deal obviously my story didn't pan out that way um but in terms of where I was at at that time I was a redshirt junior I knew I knew uh I knew crystal clear what I had behind me I knew he was a talent I knew he had a high ceiling um and I also knew he was a good dude that was going to be able to handle all the uh, all the success that he would inevitably had 
at the time, I thought I was going to have my success window before him and that his success window would come later than, than mine. But obviously, that didn't work out. But uh, wasn't surprised at all that uh, that, that Sam is, is where he's at right now. And I think I saw something about how the fact that when something happens, like Sam gets a start over you, that's a very public thing and everybody is aware of what's going on. So how do you handle that situation with the public attention on you? Yeah, man, it's tough. Um I think my, my go-to, I always struggle kind of verbalizing what that is because in my gut, it's like, I don't know, like I'm sitting there and I'm just kind of trying to be me, take it one day at a time. Like there's tons of pain and like suffering and uh, all those negative emotions, like grief and all that. But throughout it all, my go-to answer with that is I just try to keep perspective in the whole thing. I just tried to say, yes, I just got benched. Yes, this is like four years or a lifetime of work that just got blown up in my face. Yes, I'm a captain. It's embarrassing. I'm a five-star. I didn't live up to expectation. All those things, all those factors come into play. You're getting ripped on in social media. All those factors come into play, but I was just like, hey, control what I can control. I was confident with the deliverable I brought to the table every single day, and so that allowed me to have uh, – have no no regrets throughout it all, which was uh, definitely a positive. And the social media aspect is one thing I was really curious to ask you about. Like, what? How do fans treat athletes online? Yeah, it's awful. Um, they they hide behind their social media presence, uh, hide behind their handle, uh, and I think that's something that ha- throughout my career, I feel like a lot of the things I've stayed. I'm the same Max Brown. I'm the same dude. But my relationship with social media is one thing that's definitely changed. I remember as a freshman at USC, I would go to practice and then I'd be the first guy that would like scroll Twitter and like kind of see what people were saying and all that stuff. And not in like a, oh, I want to see, I want like compliments and I want good things. I was just like, oh crap, are they saying good things or saying bad things? Especially as a kid who uh, I didn't play close to home. So those social media updates are what everyone back home is seeing. And so that's like, that that's that's my reality to an extent and so I was always like ah, oh, what are they saying what are they saying but then as my career went on and what people were saying on the Twitters and on Instagram was not positive I had a real heart to heart with myself of like I can't I can't listen to that and then that was something I grew grew with and it gets to the point now where uh, I'm super active on social media I'm always commented on like college football pages and I get ripped into like about my playing career and how bad it was and how much of a failure I am and all that stuff but you just get numb to it and I, I kind of just rattle that off, just kind of like, oh, it's something casual. But that's, that's years and years of me really owning the fact that I got to control what I can control. And uh, I think that's definitely a progression that's hard for a young guy, especially as Instagram kind of becomes more and more ingrained in younger prospects. That's hard. But uh, if you keep your wits about you, it's something you definitely can grow and uh, improve in. No, I agree. Like I work in sport and I can see some of the hate that gets directed towards individual players just because I'm managing a team account. And even like when it's not directed personally at me, I'm just like, whoa, like I'm almost like a little offended, but it must be a completely different thing when it's directed specifically at you, especially now that you're leading a public life still, despite not playing sports and people can still associate your name with your time at USC. Like that must be just a tough thing to handle from time to time though. Yeah, it's definitely tough. I think it's also a byproduct of, um, I think over, over the course of the time, it's th- those little Twitter trolls or whatever you want to call them. I think those like naturally kind of fade. I think what really gets guys into trouble is when they go public on social media and tell people how great they're going to be and tell people they're going to do this and do that. And I'm the best thing since this. And then if that doesn't happen, then that's where it's like, oh, like, 
uh, there's a sense of embarrassment. There's a sense of, oh, I can't post this. Or then guys really get on them and then it becomes almost real. And so that's the biggest area that I almost cringe with when I'm watching these high school prospects or anyone for that reason post this about how good they're going to be or say this or predict this. And it's just like, yeah, man, I, I get the whole confidence. I get the, the whole I'm all in on plan A, but there's a time period where you flash forward four or five years and I see it with my teammates all the time where they said that and then now things didn't work out and then their presence on social media and kind of who they are, their identities wrapped up in this and it's uh, they find themselves in a tough spot. It's uh, it's it's not easy for sure. Mm-hmm. And then you, it was your senior season where you transferred to Pitt, correct? Yep. So I did the whole grad transfer route. So that was for my fifth year. I grad transferred uh, to Pitt. Yeah. And so you talked about how when you were starting like the college football process, like your goal was three years, win a Heisman, win a championship, go to the NFL. So when did you have to have that hard conversation with yourself where you decided that the NFL wasn't going to be where you'd end up? Yeah, that's a great question. That's actually the first time I've been asked that uh, just because it happened relatively recently. Um so I, yeah, played uh, the first five games at, at uh, Pitt and then had a career or I ended up being a career-ending injury, but uh, at the time was a season-ending injury, uh, tore the labrum in my right shoulder, got hit on a sack, uh, shoulder, throwing shoulder all ripped up. And so basically I spent all of 2018 rehabbing uh, and then right before Christmas in 2018, so really like six months ago, uh, I had workouts with the Redskins and the Steelers and I had been rehabbing at that point it'd be kind of it'd been kind of 16 months of rehab or so and I remember going to that workout and I could hold my own and I can throw and if if we played catch you wouldn't necessarily notice anything's wrong but when you get to the NFL, at the NFL level and it's I'm sitting on the right hash and have to throw a deep deep throw on the left side of the field and that just wasn't there for me, me anymore, um, that, that, that ability. And I think as a result, it, uh, it leaked into my head and my heart, and that passion wasn't there. Always prided myself on a guy that uh, never get outworked. Um, I was a film junkie, still am to an extent, but I, I, was, I, I lived and breathed football, and uh, I think as a result of the shoulder deal, that passion kind of faded. And uh, in, the, in the beginning of this year, it kind of, uh, I, told my, I, had, I had a heart-to-heart with myself, and it was time to uh, move on to the next phase. Was there ever a conversation about potentially going to the CFL or was it pretty much NFL or nothing? CFL wasn't on my radar, was not on my radar. Um, it just felt like to me, um, there, there's, a, there's a point, a, a portion of me that kind of feels like CFL is just prolonging the inevitable in terms of it's just like, oh, I, I, I play because I don't know what else to do. To me, I always knew that I had uh, other aspirations uh, in life, whether my football career ended at in it never started in the NFL, or if it ended 20 years later, and I find myself at 40 with the next chapter. I always kind of envisioned um, building a bigger legacy post football, uh, and so it, to me, it was just it just felt like time to move on. I totally get there's a, play, a time and place for the CFL, but that wasn't for me moving up to Canada. I entertained the AAF for a little while, but uh, that window closed on me. And so it, it just felt like time to move on. And you talked about kind of building a legacy after football. Is that something guys think about often, like their life after football, whether it be college athletes that won't be playing competitively after or even NFL guys that once they're done, they're playing career. Is that something that guys think about very often? Some guys do, but not most. Some guys do, and that's obviously the ones that are ultimately probably successful. It's the guys that um, 
can leverage their playing career, uh, or, or especially during their playing career for the next, the next venture. Um, and leverage sometimes has a negative connotation, but it's not even like that. It's, it's leveraging relationships. It's saying hi to the guy in class. It's going, going to class. It's, uh, just leveraging various business opportunities to give yourself doors at the end. And most, most guys don't leverage that. And to be honest, it is, they, they, the, the, the block they use is, oh, I'm all in on football. I'm, uh, I have no plan B. And I just, I push back on that mindset heavily. I think that's a very uh, troubling mindset because, yes, it works out for one guy, but there's a hundred other guys that kind of go down that same mindset and find themselves with uh, nothing to do in life once football ends. And, um, yeah, so to answer your question, that's a little, little long-winded way to say it, but uh, most guys – I would say don't pay attention to life after football, but the ones that do are ultimately successful. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, cause like I have this like thesis that guys should be going all in on their interests during their playing career while they have the attention, like you said, just to leverage the people that are focused on these guys right now. Like for example, I just found a baseball player. That's also a touch streamer. And I just think that's what guys should be doing when they're playing is just really going all in on their interest as well to grow brand around it. I love that. Exactly. And yeah, you're, you're referencing Twitch. Like, the guys that are not doing school are the guys that are playing playing video games. So yeah, might as well uh, leverage it then. Yeah, I just think it gets back. I'm I'm big on uh, kind of self awareness and perspective, and it, it's having the perspective of understanding you have this window. This for a lot of guys, this four year window where you're a college athlete and you have the world at your fingertips. Are you able to 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 make plays with that? And I, I by no means was perfect. Uh, I wasn't the guy. That's not, I'm not talking about going to every single networking event or shaking every single hand or going to a lunch with someone every single day. No, I mean, we're, we're all human, but it is the idea of just understanding that uh, what happens under scenario A, sure, but what about B, C, and D and being prepared for, for all those as well. Mm-hmm. And you talk about how like you didn't go to every networking event. Like what's the schedule of a college athlete like? Because I say like they should be producing content around their interests, but do you really have the time to be doing that while you're in college? <laughs> Yeah, there's, that's another uh, another word I kind of push back on is everyone always says, oh, they're busy, right? They're busy. Yeah, I mean, college athletes are busy, but there is time in the day. They do find time to play video games, to hang out, to chill. So, I mean, there is time to produce content, like you said, but that the normal the, the schedule is, um, I think guys like right now, let's say mid-July, they would be waking up 6 a.m., have workout 6 a.m., or waking up at probably 5.30, workout 6 a.m. to 8 a.m., get a little breakfast. And then most guys, I remember when I played, you, you basically have like two blocks of class because most guys are in summer school. It's usually like a uh, 10 to one. And then for me, there was sometimes it was like two to five. And that's a grind, right? That's that summer school. That's workouts all deal. But if we're being real, like uh, there is time at night to like get stuff done. And I felt like the ones that kind of take that next step are the guys that can uh, can execute on that. But don't get me wrong. It's a grind. It's a lot. They're busy. It's a full-time job, 1,000%. One, 1, um, but we all have 24 hours in the day, and uh, how are you using them? That's uh, the biggest thing on my end. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, but I, I feel like I couldn't have this conversation with you and not ask you about whether you think athletes should be paid or not, especially considering you went to USC. And I watched a video recently where they're working on a bill, I believe, in California where student athletes will be able to profit off of their likeness. Like, where do you kind of land on with compensation with athletes? Yeah, I am big on the likeness aspect. Uh, it's, it's funny you mentioned that. Um, to me, I think they should get paid. I think 
just the amount of money um, that is just flowing in because of these athletes, whether you like it or not, it's just real. And uh, I've seen it with myself. Luckily, I'm in a position where I'm not at the end of the road just with my life. I have some other irons in the fire, but there's so many guys, whether it's on them or not, that find themselves as big recruits at 17 or 18 and companies, websites, coaches, schools are making tons of money off them, but they don't get any money. And then at 22, 23, aren't the talk of the town anymore and then have to go back and and do whatever and have no money to their name and their family's no better off. To me, that's messed up. It's not the culture we live in. And so I think they should get paid more. And then I mentioned the likeness uh, aspect. To me, that's the ticket. It's guys should be able, guys and girls should be able to control their likeness. To me, the biggest hurdle in this whole process is the Title IX aspect. How do you pay football players without paying gymnastics or gymnasts? Like, how does that whole dynamic work? And if you if you allow likeness to get uh, to, to come into play, that means I can go get uh, compensated for showing up at a quarterback camp. Just like my girlfriend, who's a volleyball player, can go and get uh, money for showing up at a volleyball camp. Sure, the the payment scale is probably going to be a little different, but at the end of the day, it's allowing each person to control what they can control and truly value or uh, reap the value and the benefits of, of what their name brings to the table and have it be kind of an open market. To me, that's uh, that avenue is uh, is the ticket on the, uh, from my perspective. And did you follow the destroying situation, all that kicker that had a YouTube channel that was basically given an ultimatum to pick a YouTube or college football? The extent of what I know is literally what you just said. I saw the headline and that's about it. So I'm I'm not super informed on that. That's fair. I was just, it was an interesting situation where because he was profiting from his YouTube channel, the NCAA said it was basically like he was leveraging his likeness for the channel and that's why he ultimately had to pick one and he ended up picking his YouTube channel, but he actually recently just signed a contract here in the CFL after not playing for two years. Um, yeah, that's, that's wild to me. That's to me, that's just a guy that's smart and uh, kind of is embodying this whole conversation we're having of uh, like guys just kind of leveraging their platform. To me, that's not why the NCAA should, should come into play, but at the end of the day, I guess that's, that's, that's the stage we live in, but by no means uh, from my perspective, is it the right, uh, the right stage? Mm-hmm. And I want to talk about, I think it was shortly after college, you ended up have, working social media for Yogi Roth. Yeah, um, that's, that's great. Yeah, you're, you're doing, doing your research. I like it. Um, yeah, so I um, basically last August kind of realized my NFL window was shrinking a little bit just because my arm wasn't where I needed to be and not to just go down a tangent, but just the timing wasn't uh, wasn't going to align in my favor. And so I was like, all right, sweet. How do I make the, the most of my of these these four months coming up of, of last fall? And knew I wanted to try my hand at broadcasting. Um, always kind of had that itch, uh, whether my football career was going to end early or 20 years later, knew kind of broadcasting was something I wanted to pursue. And Yogi's a guy I knew. Um He's big on the West Coast. He's the face of the Pac-12 network, uh, does a lot of things football-wise out there. And so went out there, helped him, uh, did some things on his social media, uh, and then also got to learn the broadcasting side from him, which kind of kick-started uh, some of the traction I'm getting now, which uh, which is awesome. But great dude, learned a lot, and uh, was fun working for him. So is it around that time where you started producing your own broadcasting and analysis content on your YouTube page? It was. So I tried to uh, get formal uh, broadcasting gigs. So color commentary gigs in the booth for like high school games is what I was trying to get, but was willing to do whatever, but miss, missed my opportunity, missed my window at that point. 
And so it was like, all right, how do I, how do I still progress my career? How do I still get some traction to my name? Cause I was aware that if I don't do anything for another year, that's, that's another year I'm out of football. It's another year kind of my name becomes uh, even more kind of irrelevant with than, than kind of where, where, where it was to be honest. And so I was like, all right, I need to, need to start producing content, need to get my voice out there. And then I need to get just experience and get reps. That's what everyone was kind of telling me at that time. Just that, that's, 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 what, that's what you need to be successful in anything in life, but especially broadcasting. And so was producing weekly uh, about 10 minute episodes, just breaking down football games. And it was awesome. It allowed me to get on some radio shows, allowed me to have a great Twitter presence last fall, uh, interact with fans and kind of get my name out there a little bit in the industry, nothing groundbreaking, but for a one man show, it allowed me to uh, keep, get my name out there. And then ultimately what happened was I was able to compile, compile those, that YouTube footage into a reel, um, which this past off season, I was allowed, or it gave me the ability to send it out to all these networks and agents and various talent individuals and say, hey, look, here's what I've done. And it was a tangible deliverable that they could say, all right, sweet. Hey, this kid, this kid's got some traction to him or, hey, okay, this is, this is pretty solid. This is creative. And it's allowed me to kind of take the next step a little bit in the, the, the broadcasting side of things. Mm-hmm. I think it's awesome. That, like you said that like there wasn't really much opportunity where you were at that time. So you just created your own opportunity with that channel. And from what it looks like, I watched some of your videos. Were you just recording on a phone or something like that? Or did you have a camera and like you were just recording in your kitchen, right? Recording in my kitchen, recording on my iPhone camera. Uh, I used headphones to make sure, it, which made the, made it visually look uh, kind of, it made it look visually odd, but uh, I used uh, it, it was awesome for the audio portion. And then, uh, yeah, I had a buddy help me with the editing for the first half. And then I kind of learned the editing ways a little bit towards the end. But, uh, yeah, that was uh, that, that was my operation. I think that's great, though, that you didn't let that be an excuse as to why you weren't going to do it. The fact that you just had an iPhone and your background was your kitchen. Like, I feel like a lot of people want the perfect backdrop and like a perfect, like a d- awesome DSLR camera. But you just said, screw it and rolled with an iPhone. And I think that's awesome, man. Yeah, no, it was great. It, uh, it made it made it uh, made it simple. I think. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's definitely something to be said about up in the production quality and all that. But for where I was at that time, it was it was good enough and high quality enough to get some traction, and uh, that's all I needed. That's awesome. And you mentioned you recently signed with a broadcasting agent. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. So, like, yeah, what, does, what does that mean long term? So, how are they going to help you with your career? Yeah, so I was I made an Instagram post, which is uh, obviously how you see how you saw it. But uh, in in itself, the broadcasting agent really doesn't mean anything, and that's not me cutting cutting myself short. But in itself, there's a lot of broadcasters that do not have agents, uh, successful broadcasters that don't have agents, especially when they're when they're getting off the ground. But for me, I was at the stage uh, now where. Um, I just need another person in the room kind of fighting for me. So I was able to get in email conversations with a lot of the talent heads at various networks and um, they, they, they talked to me and whatnot and hey, good work and all that. But the value of having another person with relationships, with credibility in these rooms, on these phones, fighting for you, I think that matters. And I think for me, I'm a guy, I don't, I don't have a big name. I didn't have a big playing career. So it's not like guys are going to be banging down my door for a broadcast to, to have me on their, on their network. What it's, what's going to, what it's going to take is uh, for an opportunity to show, I get my chance. And then uh, the, the rest is history. And for those opportunities to show 
it's nice having an agent that's in the world on the phones, kind of in these conversations to uh, notify me when opportunities show. And uh, that's definitely what's uh, what I'm hoping will transpire this fall. That's awesome. And a little bit earlier, you're talking about how guys need to really capitalize on the window of their four-year playing career, whether it's like just shaking someone's hand, going to the networking events. And those are some similar points that were made in Gary's talk to the USC football team when he was there. So I'm assuming you were in the room when he gave that speech. I actually was not. That was the year uh, I, the year after I left. So that was in the summer of 2017. I think he's talked to him twice. So he talked to him I think this year, uh, and then he talked to him in 2017. But my last year at USC was 2016, so I, uh, I actually missed him. But I'm a firm firm believer on that point for sure. So how did you end up meeting Gary then? Because I, I clearly did my math wrong as to the window when you were at USC. So when did you meet him? Yeah, I didn't I didn't meet him until I got out here, uh, to be honest. Um, I just was fortunate enough, had some people – we're going to bring up that network word again, but uh, had some people in my network that uh, were kind of tied in with Gary and I'd been a big, uh, big follower of Gary for two years coming up to that, that point, but I'd known of who he was for three years and was, I found myself watching his content every single day. Um, and it was like, okay, when, when I realized football was ending and what's, what's going to be my first step into the professional business world, what do I do? I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I was like, I like what Gary's, preaching i like what he's got going on i'm interested in the social media world and the marketing world it just felt like the logical first step and uh, i was able to make it happen so your role with uh, team gary is channel manager so what does that all entail yeah channel manager is how we uh how we uh title it just because the the inherent nature of a lot of our uh team members is you, you do a lot of different things you wear many many different hats uh, but the way I explain it is it's all things social media. So basically Gary's Gary's team has, uh, I think, like 20 of us or so, 30 of us or so, and half, pe- half the people are strategists like myself and half the people are uh, creative. So the designers, the videographers, those type of people. On my end, I kind of operate in three main lanes. So any YouTube ad of Gary's that goes out, that's, that's me. So that's, that's what I do on the day-to-day. So I do all of our YouTube ads. Um, and then I also do – some Facebook stuff as well. Um, so I work with various pages who want to share Gary's content. Is there a way that we can strategically do that, plan it out, have specific uh, pages, uh, leverage Gary's content, negotiate contracts, those type of things. That's that's the area I operate in. And then also Gary has a uh, men's media brand called 137 PM, 137 PM. Uh, it's a, if Sports Illustrated is for sports, this is more the uh, like business culture sports kind of where they all merge that's that's kind of the angle we take and i do a lot of work for them and i'm kind of the middleman between team gary as you mentioned and 137 p.m uh i'm kind of the middleman and and coordinate a lot of things curating content kind of whatever they need on that end so those are the main things also run some instagram accounts for the team also do uh random stuff here and there uh but those are the broad broad elements and it's kind of all over the place when you talk about uh social media but it's awesome learning a bunch and it's been fun I want to go back to the YouTube ads that you're running. Yep. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Like, so typically like what do those ads look like? Are they just driving to Gary's YouTube page or what are you kind of typically driving towards? Yeah. So they're all driving, they're all ultimately driving towards Gary's page, but we do have different uh, strategies with those. So one, it's just sure subscribers. So it's, um, attacking certain keywords. So if we do a video on, I'm going to dumb it down here, but if we do a, 
a video on how to grow your social following, I'm going to attack so the keyword social following and pit, put a video that strategically aligns with that subject matter and has a nice hook in the first five seconds as a pre-roll ad, which is the first five seconds ad uh, in YouTube. So that kind of mindset, that strategy is one area we go. We also just look for uh, cost efficient CPV, um, so cost per view uh, in operating in kind of the one cent, uh, one cent barometer for those people that kind of know the language. And for us, it's at all, it, we're lucky enough to be in a position where we can, we have the budget to spend on YouTube ads. So getting, um, cost beneficial, uh, or cost uh, efficient, just views is, uh, is ideal. So we get, we'll get a video that, uh, we like, and we'll just try to put it in front of as many eyeballs as possible, just in a branding sense. So people are seeing more of Gary words, uh, get more, get word of Gary's getting out there more. Uh, and then kind of the third bucket we operate in is, um, is re-engaging followers or subscribers in the YouTube sense that we're used to watch Gary's content, but for whatever reason, it may have fallen off. And so strategically, um, trying to get a video in front of those subscribers that may not have watched our last 10 videos that may have watched certain marketing videos, but we may not have posted a marketing video in a while. So why don't I show this them? Why don't I show them this video that kind of aligns with that? Those kind of, uh, mental frameworks are kind of how we operate in the YouTube, uh, YouTube space. That's awesome. And when you said you do some Facebook stuff, is that Facebook advertising? Um, in my, I've done a little bit of that, but, uh, mostly it's, uh, with the share game. So you've kind of heard by like share, share for share a little bit. Gary doesn't do that specific aspect, but, uh, it's operating in, in that domain of, of trying to have pages, uh, share Gary's content and, and coming up with a strategic game plan as to, uh, which pages make the most sense to, uh, engage in a conversation with, to try to get them, uh, to, to, to share Gary's content because we, we're confident in the content we're putting out there. We think it's awesome. Uh, and it's definitely proven to be the case just with the, with the metrics we're getting and, uh, just trying to get the word out there on, on Facebook as well. Mm-hmm. And then when it comes to the Instagram accounts that you run, is that the team Gary V account? I personally do not run that. Um, so we have a bank of probably, um, I don't know, a couple dozen, uh, Instagram accounts handles that are popular. So popular keywords. Um, and so for example, like podcast podcast is not one of them, but, uh, like just sharp one word keywords and, uh, a a bunch of our team members, uh, run various accounts on there. So, um, yeah, it's a little, a little network hub, uh, we have on from that angle. That's interesting. So it's like accounts that aren't necessarily associated to Gary V then it's kind of accounts associated to just different things within culture. Yep, exactly. Uh, and I've made that out to be way more uh, vague than it needed to be. So I run the account at highlights and at nutritional. And so obviously those are two strong, big keywords. Um, and how do we get those accounts? I mean, it's just, once again, Gary kind of being on the cutting edge of Instagram and was able to snatch him up pretty early. And uh, it's beneficial for us long-term to uh, build those up, have them be healthy and, uh, uh, we don't think Instagram's going in, or I shouldn't say that. I don't think Instagram's going anywhere anytime soon. And so, making sure those accounts are healthy can only benefit uh, both our team and the just entire Vayner ecosystem moving forward. That's really interesting. I didn't realize that 
those accounts like belong to VaynerMedia then. So all your content, if it's not Gary V related content, where are you getting it from then? Yeah, just so, just in case this gets out there, uh, it, they're gallery media entities, so it's not Vayner Media necessarily. So Gary bought gal- gallery media. So just just for the uh, uh, being uh, just to clarify things there. But uh, how we're getting the content? It's just like any of the, uh, of the various sports or fashion or any any of any of that any of the various accounts you see out there. It's ripping things from the internet. And giving credit, there's no copyright or infringement or anything like that. We give credit on all our posts. But, uh, yeah, there's, there's an element of that, ripping it from the Internet. And then there's also an element of we do have designers on our team that do um, design certain aspects uh, for the various handles. And, uh, yeah, that's something we definitely invest in. Mm-hmm. And then so how does it differ than running a curation page versus running, like, your own personal page? That's a great question. Um, I think – I would say with my personal page, I'm more poignant on kind of what I'm posting. So, um, and Gary might, if he was ever listening to this, he might push back and say, just post, just post, just post. But for me, I'm a little more strategic of just, all right, is this a message I want to push? Is this, is every I dotted and every T cross? That's kind of how, like, that's, and, and, and that's kind of how I'm wired with my social, uh, with my personal social account. I'm very wary of every single thing I'm posting versus for example, when I run at highlights, qua- the the sheer quantity there's some 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 value to that just in terms of getting up in the followers, making sure more eyeballs are, are following my page. So can I turn out four posts a day on my personal page? To me, at this stage in the game, with where I'm at, I, I, that's just not something I do. Is it realistic? Sure. If I if I did a different strategic route, but I think the sheer quantity of uh, of posts. Uh, differs between the two accounts just because my personal one, it's more personal. I want every single message I push to really be uh, honed in. And uh, I think that's the biggest, the biggest area it differs. Mm-hmm. Is there any other accounts that you kind of look to for inspiration in terms of running it? Like just when you're talking about frequency of posting, I had Buster share on the podcast a while ago and he runs Hoops Nation and he says he'll post sometimes 20 to 30 times a day. Like I just quickly, I, I glanced at the highlights page because I never heard of it before. It doesn't look like you guys post quite that much, right? Yeah, we do not. And uh, I mean, don't don't get me wrong. Uh, post running highlights is is a responsibility of mine. But uh, on the on the tier of responsibilities in my day to day, it's not uh, not 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 tier A. I, w- I wouldn't say that. Um, or it doesn't have the utmost of, uh, of of timeliness. So yeah, I don't find myself posting all the time. Uh, but I try to do one post a day. That's kind of where I'm at. And so it's just a sheer bandwidth thing. Uh, but to answer your question about inspiration. For highlights, I think I'm always keeping tabs on the Bleacher Report, Bleacher Reports, Ball is Life, at Ball Players. Uh, what's it like? All those accounts that are kind of in that realm, seeing what they're de- doing. But I think there's also elements of our team uh, of, the t- of of our team members that manage accounts. We meet uh, regularly just to see kind of best practices. So all um, all these accounts, they're operating under the kind of the same the same mindset in terms of, all right, this is the optimal picture format. All right, this is the optimal uh, copy format. All right, beware of this title, beware of this heading. How could you have engaged your following this way? I don't care which handle you have. A lot of those same factors play on all the handles. And uh, for in, in that regard, I find inspiration from anyone who's executing on social media. 
That's really interesting. So it was basically like the intention behind having the, this group of accounts just to kind of get those key learnings so that they can impl- be implemented into Gary Vee's content strategy, whether it be for Instagram or other socials. Uh, to be honest, no, I would say, uh, I would say Gary, just by how much he posts, he can learn, uh, and, and we track the metrics on his own post to see what's working. I don't think he necessarily needs to have, uh, the, the, the highlights and the nutritions of the world uh, or nutritionals of the world to, to track that. Obviously it doesn't hurt, but I think Gary's whole, uh, fit process he's got going on the tracking and the testing is good enough on uh, on his own page. I think the biggest thing is just more long-term. So, all right, if Instagram's not going anywhere and a lot of these companies are are paying to get various posts on these pages, all right, well, why don't we just try to just control the page and own the page? So then um, long-term, we're the ones that kind of um, uh, push the needle, I guess you could say, and we're, we're the ones that control it rather than maybe being reliant on Joe Jones who controls uh, XYZ account. I think that's more so how we're wired uh, with that. But then again, hey, I've only been here five months. The, these accounts have been running for a lot longer than me. That's just kind of how I uh, how I interpreted it. That's interesting. And could you kind of go back to those like meetings that you have where you all get in a room and you talk about your key learnings? Is there anything that you can kind of give the listeners here, like some quick hits on some little tips for Instagram and the best way to kind of format your content? Yeah. Um, I would say we're very honed in on IGTV. Um, and if you're looking at highlights right now, that's something I need to, uh, need to improve in. Uh, but we're really eyeing IGTV, uh, just seeing how Instagram's pushing that. So if there's, there's ways you can get in the IGTV space, I know that's something that we're, uh, we have our eyes on. Uh, but ultimately a lot of this stuff is, is very, is very basic, right? If you're honed into the social media world, I could tell you stuff that you'd be like, oh yeah, of course. But then it's just a matter of executing on it. So are you engaging Are you engaging in the copy? When I say copy, most people say uh, it's the caption, but uh, we, we say copy around here. But are you making your copy engaging? Uh, we like, right now we like longer form content for a lot of, uh, or longer form uh, copy for a lot of our posts. Really diving into what, uh, what the post is about. On highlights, that doesn't necessarily play as much. Uh, so we're more like the one liners. So you got to know your audience, but if you, if it's your personal account and you're getting deep with your followers, really dive into the copy. Don't just post a fun day at the beach. Like that, that, that's a really, uh, that the copy is a way to really engage in, in your following. And I think ultimately if you're posting videos, uh, just being very, uh, honed in on the format of your videos. So the format for an IGTV is going to be different than a format for a square video, uh, for a video under one minute. How does your title look? Uh, is there is are you doing subtitles? Fifty percent of uh, people that listen to videos use uh, or, or don't listen with sound. So if you don't have subtitles, you could be uh, could be losing videos. That's something that was more so a case a year ago. We're still testing that now, but it's all those little factors that. Uh, I think you need to be wary of to uh, to optimize your social media presence. I have done a little bit of testing with IGTV myself, and just the organic reach it's giving with Instagram's giving it right now is huge. Yeah, um, yeah, we're, we're we're right there with you. Um, yeah, I think you said it perfectly. Uh, but I was going to ask in terms of like other social trends right now, like up here in Canada, Instagram's testing removing likes 
like the like count, like I can't see what anybody else's like count is. Do you think that that's a positive shift for social media? Like have we over-indexed and people rely too heavily on their, or do they rank their self-worth too heavily on their likes? Like, do you think that it's a good idea that social's moving towards that or should it kind of stay where it is? Like, how do you feel about the current state of social? I think the current state of social, um, I think it's getting better. I think it, I think this conversation, that type of question is, is coming up more and more. I think it's not perfect, but I, I, I think to, I'll, I'll answer some parts. The hidden likes thing to me, I think the core concept is great, right? You don't want people, uh, matching their worth or their post quality to like likes and have that be like a, a status of currency. But to me, I would just worry that, okay, if they do, if they go away with likes, then are people just going to start buying fake followers? Because right now, if you have 10,000 followers, yet you're only getting 100 likes on your page, then because you because people can see the likes on your page, then people are like, all right, this is sketchy, and you kind of get called out. And then therefore, that prevents people from maybe doing fake followers. If you hide likes, then does the Joe Jones or the random photographer start buying likes, and then that becomes kind of the uh, the status symbol. So in that regard, I don't know. I know it was getting some some positive uh, publicity of how hide the likes it's going to save people. But to me, I'm not I'm not all the way in on that camp. Um, and then the second part of your question, kind of the, the current state of social media, I, I, I push back on a lot a lot of uh, the the anti social media things. I I just think it's so that we're so lucky to be in this social media era. I mean, I literally had a this this morning's a perfect example. I had a coffee meeting with a friend from high school I hadn't seen in six years uh, without social media. The meeting would have never happened. I would have never talked to him. I probably would have never seen the kid again. But we live in a world where it's just so powerful. This podcast happened because of social media. So I always try to be like, hey, how? yes, the likes idea or likes angle and, 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 and valuing your worth there, like it's not great. But to me, it's a lot of it's let's, let's take some accountability. Let's take some ownership in terms of if you are a person that is glued to your phone after you post a photo and you're measuring your personal self-worth versus, uh, versus the likes you're getting – like that's there, there's an element of like all right that we, we you got to take some ownership we we got to figure out what 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 is that is there a bigger issue at plan at, or at play rather than blaming the entire social media landscape because I think there's a lot of positive in the social media and if uh, you're coming about it negatively yes I'm not naive to some of the de- the, 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 the the fallbacks but I think there is something to be said about uh, rather than blaming everyone else is there something that uh, you can control uh, better to, to to improve your mindset. I think that's a really interesting opinion. I think we're on a fairly similar page. And I think something that's important for the listeners to note is that earlier in this conversation that we're having right now, you talked about the negative aspects of people kind of showing hate during your playing days with USC. And you still have this opinion that social is a positive thing, despite having experienced some of the most negative parts of social media. So I think that's a really important takeaway just from your last point. But are there any other trends that you're kind of keeping an eye on? I know we talked about IGTV. And when I had Brandon Hatcher on here, he was saying he's loving TikTok right now. Um, and I just recently went down the rabbit hole, was looking at different TikTok things and found all these people on Instagram that actually have like double, triple their Instagram following on TikTok. Like, are there any things in, on the horizon that you're kind of keeping an eye on? Yeah, TikTok, uh, I got to admit, I'm, I'm not well versed in that. I'm, it's, I definitely know it's out there. I definitely know kind of the, the trajectory it's on and I'm, I'm wary of it, but I have not executed on it. Uh, this conversation might motivate me to hey, really start diving into that. Um, but in terms of on the horizon, I think um, to me, I'm just I'm really trying to uh, execute on Instagram. I think uh, 
I, I was a guy that did not post a bunch, even for being in a, of a, of a, of a certain, um, social, social, uh, or like a standard. I was, I was a cultural wall player. Like, right. I should have posted all the time, Would I had a bunch of like traction, could have done some great, great things for my personal brand, but, uh, I didn't execute on as, as much as I, I wish I had. And so definitely trying to dive into my story now, make it way more, uh, not way more, but, uh, make it super transparent, sharing what's on my brand, what's on my heart. Uh, and it's, I've had some success with it the past couple months and just really trying to lean into that. I personally don't think IG is going anywhere uh, any, anytime soon. And so really trying to hone in and making sure uh, I, I got a strong presence uh, on the most powerful social social media platform we have right now. That's mm. kind of where my head's at. That's fair. And I will say the one thing that is you're not alone in terms of when you were a college football player not posting a lot. Before I had my job in the CFL, I worked in the OHL, which is the top level of junior hockey here in Canada. And like these guys are, some of these guys are on their way to the NHL and just the lack of posting that they do boggles my mind. Like they'll post four times over the course of the season. And I'm like, you have all this attention on you. You should be capitalizing as best you can. I noticed that's a trend with athletes for the most part across the board. It's just the lack of posting on social, but I did want to dive a little bit deeper uh, into the new content that you're doing. Like when I was looking through your Instagram, you've started to do some videos and you've, like you said, you start to open up a bit more. So what's kind of the catalyst behind that decision? Was that just really trying to go all in on your personal brand now? Yeah, I think, uh, it's bits and bits and pieces of a bunch of things. I think it's, um, me understanding the macro viewpoint of social media is not going anywhere. And so, like just strategically it, it like personal brand and making sure like, or, or, and having a social following like that holds weight, whether it's good, whether it's bad, we can, people can debate that, but the reality is like it does hold weight. And so there is a businessy sense to it, but the, the, the main portion is like all, all, all these emotions, all these feelings you've kind of mentioned, uh, mentioned it. I'm, I'm, I'm opening up more. A lot of these emotions and feelings, it's what I feel on a day-to-day basis. So it's, literally just post on what's like genuine and what's what's transparent and so it's really yes there might be a strategic element but the execution is all is all genuine um and i think it's made it easier to operate on social i think a lot of people get bogged down when it's hey i have to pose for this post and the lighting's got to be perfect and it's got to look like i'm doing this and having money and having success versus i went the other way and i'm saying all right i'm just going to open up about the negative things uh that are the 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 downsides of my playing career, what I struggle with, well, where my head's at. And as a result, uh, it's one been fun because it allows me to kind of flush out my thoughts Two, it's been uh, super uh, genuine and, and it's been easier to post that way. And then three, it's kind of been cool because I'm able to document uh, kind of my story. And I know um, a big motivation on my end was uh, I want to look back in five, 10 years and be able to scroll my feed and be like, ah, oh, that was cool. I remember when I was at that phase, ah, oh, this post resemble this, this, that, and the other. Um, it's something I regret from my playing days that I do not have that ability. I didn't post. And so I don't have that, the, the ability to recall on a certain memory. And uh, I want to be able to uh, 10, 15 years down the, down the road, uh, really be able to track where, uh, where my life's at as, as, as an Instagram, uh, as Instagram should be, it should be a, a documentation of kind of what you got going in your life. And uh, that's how I've been approaching it. And you say, yeah, you talk about how it's kind of more like a personal thing when you use your Instagram, but with the Gary V content model in mind, is there ever a plan to either start posting more of your analysis content on your Instagram or create a second Instagram for that content? Like what I mean is taking those YouTube videos and then breaking them up into the shorter clips for Instagram. Yep. It's definitely on my radar. Um, 
a lot of my YouTube clips are uh, timely. So I got that question yesterday. It's like, oh, Max, you should put some of your YouTube clips on your social. And I'm not as pumped on that just because a lot of my analysis was timely for 2018 and uh, may, may have uh, fallen out of date here now. But when you're, you, you hit the nail on the head this fall, uh, not sure exactly what my social plan will be. I'll have to figure out exactly uh, what uh, like formal professional opportunities I have uh, in the broadcasting world, but uh, definitely doing stuff on social, definitely on the, on the planning on posting micro content as we, uh, we call it over here, just short clips of uh, kind of uh, quick hits, uh, hot takes for lack of a better term. And uh, yeah, it should be fun. Uh, I, I don't envision making a second account. I'd love for it all to live in one spot and kind of, Hey, you come to Max Brown's page for both the personal outlook, the career talking, the football analyst, and just kind of tracking his life and his day to day. That's that's kind of how I envision my profile planning out. Are there any areas that you can see sports media improving right now? Like just for example, an idea that my friend Hayden gave to me was he thinks that a trend that we're going to start seeing is people who want to become broadcasters watching whether it be a football or a basketball game live with fellow people on Twitch with their followers, but they'll be doing the commentating of the game and doing live analysis as the game goes on on Twitch. Like, is there any areas that you could see sports media taking that next step in this world of social media? That's so funny. You said that, uh, <laughs> to an extent, what you just said right there is what I'm planning out for this fall in the event that I'm not in a formal, uh, formal booth calling a game. Uh, so I, I forget the name of your friend you just said, but I 100% agree with him. I think uh, you're going to see more guys breaking down plays, more, more guys leaning into video content, uh, leveraging kind of the Twitch angle, um, which is I'm not a gamer, but I know that exists. I know that's out there. Uh, I just think you're going to see more and more people, what I've started to do, um, what, what you've uh, been doing on your Instagram as well, of like leaning into the video content, rather than it being posed Instagram pictures, more of just kind of uh, creating, uh, operating yourself as a media company, kind of your thoughts, what you're doing, documenting rather than creating is another big thing that Gary does. I just think you're going to see a lot more of that. I think you're going to see a lot more uh, people just being more uh, genuine rather than staged with it. But uh, I think your, your buddy's comment is, is spot on uh, with how the uh, sports media world will transpire. Mm -hmm. And I was very curious to ask about what it's like working with Gary on a day-to-day -day basis. I know he's not in the office all the time, but like, what's that like? Yeah. So he's not in the office all the time. Um, but it's, it's awesome. Uh, just kind of being around his entire ecosystem. I think when he is in the office, uh, the number one thing I always push people is he is not an act once one bit. He's as genuine as they come, his hustle, his mentality, the way he operates, all 24 hours a day and what he preaches, there is zero act to that at all. I mean, I've never seen a guy have a schedule. I mean, we're talking about his showers are scheduled out to the minute. Like, all right, it's four minutes and not six minutes because he's got to be here and X, Y, Z, all that thing, all that stuff. I think that being around that type of personality, being around that type of culture makes me, makes me, makes our team incredibly productive, uh, allows us to always be upbeat. We're on the move. We're always going. We're always uh, doing various things. And I think that culture is super healthy um, rather than it getting stagnant and bogged down. So I think that's, that's the best part. That's my favorite part about probably working uh, on, or it's one of my favorite parts about working on this team that I think is uh, 
a direct result of the foundation that Gary uh, Gary laid into uh, his company and his team. That's like a common thread that I've heard throughout all the people I've talked to that work at Vayner. Uh, that Gary is exactly how he is off camera as he is on camera. But from one elite performer to another, can you talk to me about LeBron James? <laughs> LeBron James. Uh, that's my guy. Uh, I, I say that loosely. Um, I don't know him personally, but I've been, I'm a Le- LeBron. It's funny. I mentioned Gary, you mentioned LeBron. Gary uh, called me in the, his office the other day and goes, uh, who do you root, root for? And I said, I'm a LeBron nomad. I am, uh, I, I travel with him wherever team, wherever team he's on. I'm, I'm, that's the team I'm rooting for. I call me a bandwagon. Sure. That, that's, that's my guy. Uh, but, uh, I, I just, I followed him forever. I think, uh, I was in fourth grade when he was in the cover of Sports Illustrated and got drafted. And so that's like prime age to have a, a hero, for lack of a better term, have a role model. And so I was always kind of like, hey, that's, I'm, I'm a LeBron guy. And then um, that coupled with I'm, a, I'm also from Seattle. So I lost my Supersonics. And uh, that, that's why uh, I, I need someone to root for. And so that, that came to LeBron uh, as well. But Hoping for a big year to Lakers, uh, big LeBron guy. Uh, we'll see what happens, but uh, lo- love, love the question. <laughs> so but what was Gary's reaction when you told me you're a LeBron fan? Because I can remember him talking. It was one of the Ask Gary V's where there was a fan from Houston that said he was a LeBron fan, and Gary kind of shredded the guy. What did he say to you? Uh, to be honest, he was like in passing, so he just kind of dismissed it and moved on. Um, but uh, – yeah, it was the day C.J. McCollum was in the office, and he's from uh, obviously plays in Portland. Gary knew I was from Seattle, so I think he was maybe saying, maybe anticipating that I would say, "Oh, I'm a Trailblazers guy," but uh, not the case. And he just kind of uh, brushed it off. That's fair. We're getting close to the hour mark here, so I like to wrap up every single interview with the same standard kind of uh, questions. They're almost like a deeper level questions, a little bit. Uh, first one is if you were going to dinner and you could take three people, dead or alive, who would you take to dinner? Uh, LeBron won. Um, this is, uh, this is deep. I would say, um, dead or alive. I would say Abraham Lincoln. And I would say, I think, I don't know, a Warren Buffett and Elon Musk, a, uh, Bill Gates, one of those minds that would be uh, that would make for some some wild conversation. I'll, I'll go with those three. That's fair. Uh, what's the best advice you've ever gotten? Best advice I've ever gotten. Um, the one that always sticks out to me. I don't know if it's the best advice we've ever gotten or I've ever gotten, but the one that sticks out to me, and it's related to kind of the first twenty minutes of our conversation, but. When I was a recruit, someone said, pick the school you want to go to when it's a gloomy day on a Wednesday night in March. And what they were referencing to was in football, that is basically like dead off season. There's nothing really going on. There's no bells and whistles of game day and there's no bells and whistles of being the starting quarterback or all that stuff. Just when, when nothing else is going on and you're by yourself in your room, where do you want to go to school? And for me, that landed me at USC um, things may not have worked out at USC, but I don't regret that decision at all. I think I made the right decision, but that mindset I think was super healthy. We're living in the world where college athletes, uh, are transferring like no other. And, uh, I think that advice was very, uh, was very healthy for a uh, big recruit at the time when he's trying to make a, the biggest decision of his life at 17 years old. I felt like that advice was, uh, was very good. Mm-hmm. When your alarm goes off in the morning, what motivates you to get out of bed? 
Oh, wow. Um, I would say legacy is a word that sticks out in my mind when you say that. Um, I'm, I'm big on, on, on building legacy, right? I, I'm big on building my story. Next chapter, what kind of book am I writing about myself? And so getting up and attacking the day, whether it's having great conversations, whether it's progressing myself in the business world, the personal world, whether it's being great in relationships, great boyfriend, great brother, all those things. I think legacy is something that uh, when, when, when it's all said and done, wherever that, whenever that is, wherever that is, um, I want to make sure that uh, I squeezed everything out of this one life I have. And I think that motivates me each and every day I wake up. I like that, man. Uh, what's one thing about you that people wouldn't expect? Ooh, people wouldn't expect. Um, we kind of touched on the whole LeBron LeBron deal. Um, I would say um, people wouldn't expect. It's a good question. Uh, I don't know. I'll go with uh, I'm a huge Thai food guy. Um, I don't know if that's like that's kind of random. Uh, but uh, that's kind of outside the realm of football and sports. And so that's kind of uh, unique. Love me some Thai food. Always down for Thai food. Love spicy food. That's, I guess, something unique, uh, unique I could say. That's awesome. Um, what's one thing that's so important everybody needs to know? So important. Stop complaining. And I know uh, – and I, I was a believer of that before I was part of the, the Gary Vee ecosystem. That's just one of my, like, core principles. It just fundamentally gets you nowhere in life. Like – there's, and it's so prevalent in our culture. Um, just even it's a little, I, I think a lot and people always hear that. Right. And I think it goes in one ear and out the other for people, but I'm talking and like, they don't even know they're doing it. Just, I'm talking about complaining about, uh, an alarm that was going off in this podcast, right? There's nothing we can do about that. I'm talking about, uh, a noisy labor, uh, neighbor or whatever, just stop complaining. Uh, it gets you absolutely nowhere in life. And I think that mindset has allowed me to have some hidden success when things maybe didn't align for me. Uh, it's a direct result of, of that mentality for sure. Yeah. It's definitely something I think society as a whole needs to work on is just a lack of complaining. And I recently watched that video on your Instagram where you talked about this. I think it was the one for your dad for father's day. Love it. Yeah. No, that's, uh, that's something that's big, uh, big to me in my life for sure. Yeah. But the, the final question, I kind of like to flip the script a little bit. Uh, what's one question you want to know the answer to about anything? Like what's like a high level question that you just want to know the answer to? That's a great question. Um, one thing I've been trying to dive into more is my knowledge in politics. Uh, I just found myself like I, it was embarrassing the last election. Like I just really was super uneducated and I have more schooling than I, than I, than I know what to do with. And so uh, it's not a poignant question, but uh, there a specific answer to your question. But I would just th- say all things politics is something I know personally I'm trying to uh, trying to gauge, gauge in. So I think the high level th- deal would be like, how was how our country run? That, that's that's the one thing I'm trying to lean into more and the various factors and just making sure I'm uh, a more well-educated citizen so I can have more uh, calculated opinions, I think is something uh, I'm leaning into for sure. Uh, I definitely like agree. Just in a personal perspective, I'm a very similar way where I need to educate myself more on the whole political system. But I do want to thank you for taking the time every day to be on this podcast. I want to give you the floor. Where can the people find you? Plug everything that you got right now. Yeah, so Instagram, I'm at maxbrown underscore four, and brown has an E at the end, so B-R-O-W-N-E. Um, yeah, big in Instagram, also on Twitter at maxbrown, also E at the end, just the four, so no underscore. Uh, also, I have a YouTube channel, Max Brown once again, uh, and you'll see my football breakdowns out there. So if you're a football guy, 
Uh, I haven't really done a, a bunch of stuff in the off season, but I'm uh, I'm deep into that uh, in the fall. And then uh, also big into LinkedIn. So you can find me out there. Uh, like Jacob said, I work on Team Gary V. Went to USC, went to Pitt. So uh, connect with me out there. Um, but yeah, excited for the upcoming season. Uh, follow me if you can. Got a, I feel like I have a unique uh, unique social presence just with what the, the content I'm pushing. Check it out. And uh, yeah, man, this was fun. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. No, it's my pleasure. And I'll make sure everything's linked in the show notes down below. And I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. Whether you've listened the entire way through, you've only listened to bits and pieces, I really appreciate you taking the time to check this out. Do me a favor, guys. Go and follow Max on Instagram, Twitter. Subscribe to his YouTube. Connect with him on LinkedIn. Like I said, everything will be in the show notes. And if you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at, at the Jacob Kelly. Come and say hello. If you'd like to follow the podcast, you can find it on Instagram at, at my social pod or on YouTube by searching up my social life. Thank you once again for listening to this, everybody. We'll talk soon.